Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 170 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have news of a data breach at Brittany Ferries. We then have news from the UK Supreme Court in the ruling in Google's favour, which could have an impact on data breach damages claims under GDPR. We then travel to Ireland, where WhatsApp have been granted the right to appeal against their GDPR penalty. And we then return to the UK and look at how home working is leading to an increased number of GDPR breaches. We then have news that Chronify is to establish a Netherlands office to ensure EU GDPR compliance. We then have news of a data breach at Robin Hood. And then we then have news that a data breach at Premier Property Lawyers has had an impact on conveyance in deals on new house purchases. We then travel to the House of Commons in London, where an all-party group is calling for better protection for workers affected by artificial intelligence. We then travel to Europe, where there's news that members of the rebel ransomware gang have been arrested and assets have been recovered that had previously been paid in ransoms for data breaches. We then travel to Massachusetts in the US, where TechEdge has revealed details of a data breach. And we then travel to Canada, where Durham TTC has declared a data breach. We then travel to California and two court rulings. The first, that a court has ruled on the extraterritorial scope of CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act. And there's a second court ruling against a grocery chain, Kroger Co., following the data breach. We then travel to Florida, where the city of Titusville has had a data breach. And we then return to Canada, where an Edmonton man has been arrested following the data breach. And then finally this week, and again remaining in Canada, it seems we have a very Canadian-focused episode this week, where Costco have announced a data breach following credit card skimmers being installed in their stores without their knowledge. So as always, a range of articles for you this week. We hope you find the information in the articles useful and informative. We really do value your feedback, so if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at ggpowerweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. However, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon, so if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to gdprmadesimple.club and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. For a limited period until the end of November, it's only £7.99, which is a saving of £7 on the normal price. As its name suggests, we've made it a very simple guide to GDPR, but nonetheless a guide which covers everything that you need to do to ensure that your organisation is UK GDPR compliant. And so we'd be extremely grateful if you'd purchase a copy of our new book. Profits from the book help to go towards the cost of running the GDPR Weekly Show. And of course, if you've got any feedback on the book, then please either leave the feedback on Amazon or alternatively email us as usual, at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We really hope you like the book. We've put many hours into its production, and we hope, like the podcast, you find it extremely useful. We begin this week with news of a data breach at Brittany Ferries. 
Brittany Ferries, which operates ferries from ports in the UK to Spain, France and indeed Ireland, contacted its customers on Tuesday this week with bad news about a breach to their data, which might have an impact on individuals' my account with Brittany Ferries. Anne-Louis Febrer, Data Protection Officer at Brittany Ferries, said, In spite of our cyber vigilance and rigorous security checks, I'm sorry to confirm your account's protection settings were unintentionally changed between October 21st and November the 2nd of this year. On the 2nd of November, she added, We uncovered a fault in the authentication process used for my account logging details that meant any my account could be accessed without the right password. We have traced it over back to October 21st during a routine website update. As soon as the fault was uncovered, our engineers and security team set to work immediately, diagnosing and resolving the issue on the same day that it was discovered. A spokesperson for Brittany Ferries said that a test procedure was omitted from the update process. A patch was quickly applied which resolved the issue on the same day. Procedures have now been updated to ensure appropriate password tests are carried out every time a website update takes place. It's understood that data that could have been leaked includes people's names, postal address, telephone number, booking references for the past six months, passport number, date of birth and nationality. Brittany Ferries said they were assured by experts that the risk of malicious intervention is exceptionally low and certainly there's no evidence that the data has been compromised. Brittany Ferries customers have been advised to update their passwords just to be safe. One customer caught up in the breach said he was disappointed that his passport data, which may be used to forge his identity, should have been accessed by unauthorised users, but the Brittany Ferries don't seem to be able to say whether it's actually happened. As we go to broadcast, a company spokesman has explained that no customers have yet said they've had problems with their data being accessed. A spokesperson for Brittany Ferries said, Although I have to reiterate the reason for notification is prudence and good practice. We think the likelihood of a malicious attack is virtually nil, bearing in mind A. We uncovered the issue. B. There is no indication that any kind of malicious ex- external activity took place. And C. We resolved the issue quickly and of course notified the authorities. We advised all customers in the communication to change their password accordingly. A spokesperson at the ICO said the breach had yet to be reported to it by Brittany Ferries. If we get any update from this, either from Brittany Ferries or indeed the ICO, we will of course it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. The other major news in the world of GDPR this week is, of course, the ruling in the UK Supreme Court in the case between Lloyd versus Google. On the 10th of November, the UK Supreme Court handed down its much-anticipated decision, restricting the claimant's ability to bring data privacy class actions in the UK under the now-repealed Data Protection Act 1998. This decision will be persuasive, though not binding, with respect to similar class actions brought under the UK GDPR and the Data Protection Act 2018. This decision will not directly impact the litigation brought under the EU General Data Protection Regulation in EU member states, so it's just relevant to the UK. So what are the key parts of this ruling? Well, the Supreme Court determined that the compensation under Section 13 of the Data Protection Act 1998 may be awarded to affected individuals only where it's established that an individual has suffered damage, which was interpreted by the court to mean material damages such as financial loss or mental distress, caused by a contravention of the Data Protection Act 1998 by a data controller. Importantly, statutory infringement would not, in and of itself, constitute material damages for the purpose of awarding compensation, requiring claimants to prove that an infringement of the Data Protection Act 1998, no matter how severe, has caused the claimant damage makes it more difficult for claimants to succeed in such claims. 
the Supreme Court suggested that it may be appropriate for claimants to bring bifurcated proceedings in similar cases in the future, i.e. bring a case first as a representative action to establish the defendant's liability, and then a second case to pursue individual claims for compensation. This type of two-stage approach, though, will make such claims less appealing for both prospective claimants, given that they could have two cases now to pay for. It seems almost impossible that low-value claims would get through because a firm's just not going to want to do it. And, of course, it could make life far more tenuous for no-win-no-fee legal solutions because they've now got two cases to have to fund before they know whether they're going to get their money back or not. What is important to remember, though, is that the Supreme Court's decision was made under the now-defunct Data Protection Act 1998 and not the current UK GDPR. Now, while Data Protection Act 1998 is similar to what's in Data Protection Act 2018 and GDPR, of course, it is not the same. And so, while this Supreme Court decision would be persuasive with respect to similar class actions brought under GDPR and the Data Protection Act 2018, it's not clear and certainly not possible at this stage to say whether it would be binding on such class actions. So it's a very important ruling by the Supreme Court. It could have big implications for GDPR claims in the future in the UK. Plus, of course, we need to add into that the current consultation, which goes on the 19th of November, from the UK government about the future of GDPR in the UK, which in itself would make it more difficult for people to bring claims. So overall... It does seem now that to bring a claim for damages under GDPR in the UK, unless you can really prove material damage, is going to be much, much more difficult. Doubtless we will return to this in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. If you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that we've discussed the WhatsApp situation in both episodes 165 and 160. Well, this week... WhatsApp secured permission to challenge the 225 million euro GDPR fine. I think this comes as no we were surprised to most of us within the GDPR space. It was quite obvious that WhatsApp would appeal, and the right to appeal has now been given to them. WhatsApp appeared in Ireland's High Court to challenge the Data Protection Commission's decision to fine the company 225 million euros in August this year over its lack of transparency in the way it shares user data. Justice Anthony Barr agreed to grant the Facebook-owned company permission to bring its challenge and adjourn the matter to next month. WhatsApp is aiming to quash the DPC's decision and seek declarations from the court, which include that certain parts of the 2018 Data Protection Act are invalid and unconstitutional and incompatible with Ireland's un- obligations under the European Convention on Human Rights. The DPC issued WhatsApp with a penalty in August, which was approved by the EDPB, the European Data Protection Board, after a two-year investigation which found the company had been unclear in the way it processed and shared data with Facebook, as well as between WhatsApp and other Facebook-owned companies. The investigation found that the company violated Article 14 of GDPR, which states that data controllers must provide data subjects with sufficient information about the way their data is collected and processed. The DPC's draft findings from December 2020 outlined that the fine should be between €30 million Euros and €50 million, Euros, before the EDPB issued a binding decision in July with a clear instruction for the watchdog to increase its original fine. The DPC raised it several times higher and issued requirements for WhatsApp to take steps to improve GDPR compliance. In September, campaigners claimed that the DPC was failing to process a surging backlog of hundreds of GDPR cases against big tech firms which was hindering pan-European data protection enforcement as a result. And so now we, of course, will watch this appeal with interest. As I say, the next court hearing is due in December. 
We suspect there won't be any sort of ruling from this until well into 2022, but we'll always bring you the latest updates here on the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We all know that because of COVID, more people have been working from home, and even though perhaps restrictions have now eased a little, the model of hybrid working is becoming increasingly popular across companies here in the UK. But it does bring its own GDPR implications, not least in the printing of documents. In a survey conducted over the last few weeks, 66% of home workers in the UK have been found to potentially be breaching GDPR by printing work-related documents at home. The documents printed include meeting notes and agendas, 42% of people said they'd done that. Internal procedures and manuals, 32% said they'd done that. Contracts and commercial documents, 30% said they'd done that. Receipts and expense forms, 27%. And industry-related information, 24%. The survey found that the average home worker prints five documents a week, 20% 20% of home workers that are printed at home admit to printing confidential employee information, including payroll addresses, medical information. 24% have not yet disposed of printed documents. That's because they say they plan to take them back to the office when they next go in. 24% use a home threading machine. And 12%, perhaps disappointingly but not surprisingly, say they have absolutely no knowledge of how GDPR applies to their home working. So it's clearly a serious issue and we know from discussions with the ICO that it's one that they're intending to start clamping down on. So if you do have people working in a hybrid environment or indeed people still working 100% from home, do make sure they understand the GDPR implications of them working from home, particularly with regard to information that they're printing because they need to make sure that no one who shouldn't have access to that information now has access. And equally, you should be encouraging your employees working at home to A, set their screen so that it's not easily overlooked by others in their house, and B, maybe even consider investing in a screen filter to go on the screen so that it further restricts the angle from which people can view information that's being displayed on the screen. Now, of course, some organisations have taken the sledgehammer to track a nut approach to this and barred their employees from printing information at home. I have to say that unless you have a really tight VPN and really tight device management, if you believe that your employees aren't printing information at home, given the results of this survey and just given general anecdotal evidence, I think you'd have to say that you're probably kidding yourself. So the important things are to carry out a data privacy impact assessment, a data protection impact assessment, DPIA, into the people working from home, make sure you know what the risks of them working at home are, Make sure that they understand how GDPR affects them working from home and make sure they've got the necessary equipment at home that they can destroy of any paper documents safely and securely. If you'd like any help with any of that, then please do get in contact with us using the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. Chronify, a global innovator in business scheduling technology, has announced they are establishing an operating company in the Netherlands under the name Chronify BV. This move follows recent UK government proposals around data security and privacy, which we mentioned earlier, the consultation which ends on November 19th. The proposals include moving away from the EU General Data Protection Regulation, which indeed they do, and adopting a less stringent approach to data security and privacy now that Brexit is in effect. It should be said at this point, and we've said it before, that this is just a consultation. 
And so and so there could be an argument saying that Corona 5 jumped the gun on this one. But nonetheless, they, they base their decision on their belief of what's going to happen. Cronify provides first-class scheduling technology that integrates with hundreds of thousands of personal and business calendars, making a business custodian of vast amounts of private data. Cronify works with many highly regulated industries such as healthcare and finance where privacy is paramount. Cronify is trusted with this data as they build a reputation for continuously maintaining the highest level of data security. An essential part of this is their ongoing commitment to GDPR and CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, and obtaining the latest data security certifications, including ISO 27001, the International Standard for Information Security Management Systems, ISO 27018, ensures that personal data is properly protected, and ISO 27701, the International Standard for Privacy Information Management. They've also achieved SOC 2 Type 2, which defines the criteria for secure handling and management of customer data. In response to the UK government proposals, Cronify will offer their current and future EU customers the opportunity to contract with Cronify BV rather than Cronify UK. This will become the primary data processing entity for these customers, meaning any data is directly under the oversight of an EU member state's data regulator and thus fully GDPR compliant. It underscores Cronify's commitment to its European customers and the fact that the business is truly global. Cronify Limited will continue to operate alongside Cronify BV. Cronify's co-founder and CEO, Adam Bird, said, We were feeling more and more uncomfortable with the position that the UK government was taking over data privacy. While Cronify will always do the right thing, there are increasing questions about whether the UK data protection rules would continue to match that. To demonstrate our commitment to protecting personal data, it was only right that we incorporate back in the European Union, thus giving our customers the confidence that our words are backed up by legal obligation. In order to have a physical presence in the Netherlands, Cronify BV have now opened an office in Amsterdam. The company's begun actively advertising and interviewing for positions in the new location. As far as we know, this is the first major company to do this, and it'll be interesting to see whether others follow Cronify's lead. We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon, so if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to gdprmadesimple.club and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. For a limited period until the end of November, it's only £7.99, which is a saving of £7 on the normal price. As its name suggests, we've made it a very simple guide to GDPR, but nonetheless a guide which covers everything that you need to do to ensure that your organisation is UK GDPR compliant. And so we'd be extremely grateful if you'd purchase a copy of our new book. Profits from the book help to go towards the cost of running the GDPR weekly show. And of course, if you've got any feedback on the book, then please either leave the feedback on Amazon or alternatively email us as usual, at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We really hope you like the book. We've put many hours into its production, and we hope, like the podcast, you find it extremely useful. <laughs> Robin Hood announced a major data breach this week. On November the 3rd, they announced that 7 million customers had had their personal information exposed with varying amounts and types of data leaked. Robinhood says most affected users had their email addresses and or names exposed. They believe only about 300 users had their names, dates of birth and zip codes leaked, and more extensive account details were compromised for just 10 customers. 
Robinhood released a statement on November the 8th saying there had been a data breach on November the 3rd that has since been contained. The statement also mentioned that the party responsible demanded payment in extortion attempt. As a safety first company, we owe it to our customers to be transparent and act with integrity, said Taleb Seema, Robinhood's chief security officer. When we get more information from Robinhood on this, we will bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. A cyber attack against a group of conveyancing companies has left thousands of home buyers unable to complete their purchases. Simplify, which owns brands such as Premier Property, Lawyers, My Home Move and DC Law, said that parts of its business have been subjected to a security incident involving some IT systems which appeared to have drawn down at the start of this week. The company said it's working with third-party cyber specialists to restore its systems and an investigation is underway. It's also taken steps to report the incident to the relevant authorities. A spokesperson for the company said that it has now restored its IT systems sufficiently to enable clients to complete their property moves. The good news is that almost all contracted transactions with a fixed completion date are up to date, the spokesperson said. Nicole Kennan-Smith, one of the customers affected, said just spoke to Premier Property Lawyers on the phone. They cannot confirm that our data is safe and hasn't been leaked and they cannot view any case files or do anything at this moment in time. And that was on Thursday. Jason Greenwood, a breakfast show DJ and producer with CVFM Radio, posted on Twitter that he was supposed to move two days ago. Life is in limbo and in back of a van. Talking up extra costs which will make me bankrupt, he tweeted. Greenwood added, I've completed the form and the person who calls can only tell you that their systems are down, offering no help at all as they can't access anything. Yep, what's the point of that? Do I need to change to a different solicitor? The Council for Licensed Conveyors... The property law regulator confirmed it's been notified by the simplified group about the system outage, saying the group is affected by a security incident involving some IT systems. As we go to broadcast, we've just checked the Premier Property Lawyers website and it has a service update which says we have now restored IT systems sufficiently to enable clients to move. The good news is that almost all contracted transactions with a fixed completion date are up to date. We've been working non-stop and have substantially increased our customer relations teams to enable us to proactively contact almost all clients who are scheduled to complete. We had several days with minimal telephone capacity, but we now have around 300 colleagues making outbound phone calls to clients, and this team, who will be working full-time into the weekend, are calling every client with an update. We would assure you that we have been working round the clock to restore our operations. This includes carefully bringing systems online as part of a secure phased approach and finding workarounds to complete transactions safely. This work continues and will not stop until we're fully up to speed again. At all times, we've been acting in the best interest of our clients and understand how challenging this situation has been for them and to assure them that all client monies held by us are safe. If we get any further update on this from Premier Property Lawyers or other companies in the group, we will, of course, bring it to you in the future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Remaining in the UK and an all-party parliamentary group is calling for the government to establish new legislation to regulate the use of artificial intelligence in the workplace, including additional collective rights for unions to exercise legal action on their members' behalf. A new Accountability for Algorithms Act, AAA, should be established to enshrine new protections for workers against AI-based surveillance and monitoring according to the all-party parliamentary group on the future of work. The Act would seek to include more essential protection for workers to protect them from adverse effects of algorithmic systems, including an easy-to-access right for a full explanation of purpose, outcomes and significant impacts of algorithmic systems at work, as well as a means for redress. 
A data privacy impact assessment would also need to be performed at the earliest stage of design and deployment of any systems de- destined for the workplace. The report said there has been a marked increase in the use of artificial intelligence technologies in the workplace and that the use of algorithmic surveillance, management and monitoring technologies used as part of an advisory function have significantly increased during the pandemic. Pervasive monitoring and target setting of technologies are also associated with pronounced negative effects on mental and physical well-being as workers experience the extreme pressure of constant real-time micromanagement and automated assessment, it said. Lastly, the group said that workers don't understand how personal information is used to make decisions about the work they do, leading to low levels of trust in the ability of artificial intelligence technologies to make or support decisions about work or workers, especially if there isn't a way to challenge it. The report has called for some additional collective rights for unions and specialist third sector organisations to exercise new duties on members of other groups' behalf. It adds that this could be supported by the government establishing an AI partnership fund to allow the TUC, the Trade Union Congress, to build on and diversify its AI working group and develop training to give working people the tools and knowledge required to challenge the use of artificial intelligence in the workplace. TUC General Secretary Francis O'Grady said, It's great to see MPs recognise the important role trade unions can play in making sure workers benefit from advances in technology. There are some much-needed recommendations in this report, including the right for workers to disconnect and the right for workers to access clear information about how artificial intelligence is making decisions about them. It also said that the Digital Regulation Cooperation Forum, the body responsible for digital regulation, should introduce certification and guidance for artificial intelligence use, and the Cabinet Office should initiate a Work 5.0 strategy to investigate automation as a result of artificial intelligence and other technologies. MP David Davis said on Twitter, Artificial intelligence technologies are spread beyond the gig economy to control what, who and how work is done, and the Accountability for Algorithms Act is urgently needed to ensure fairness and transparency in the workplace. The group found that UK's laws have been significantly outpaced by pervasive use of artificial intelligence in the workplace, and that the country's existing framework of regulation is inadequate to promote both innovation and fair play. The group argued that challenges lie across state protection, labour and equality laws and warned that a comprehensive law change was the only way to address the problems as a whole. And of course this comes on top of, and we've mentioned it a couple of times this week already, the ongoing data consultation out from the UK government which ends on the 19th of November. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden. Europol have arrested a number of individuals linked to the Revel ransomware gang and recovered millions in ransom payments. The latest development in the year-long coordinated effort against ransomware operators saw two arrests made by Romanian authorities on the 4th of November and a further arrest made in late October by the US Department of Justice. The arrests were announced by Europol and the Department of Justice on Monday. Interpol, Eurojust and 17 other countries including the UK were also involved in an internationally coordinated effort known as Operation Gold Dust. The two individuals arrested in Romania are both believed to be members of the Rebel Ransomware Gang and responsible for 5,000 ransomware infections which pocketed them around €500,000. That's about £425,000. Rebel, also known as Sodnotobi, is a group that is believed to have been spun off from Dan Crab. A total of seven suspects linked to the Rebel and Dan Crab gangs have been arrested since February 2021. In addition to the two most recent arrests in Romania, one arrest was made in Europe in October, believed to be an arrest made by the US Department of Justice. Three were made in South Korea during three separate stings, and an additional arrest was made in Kuwait on the 4th of November. And perhaps all these arrests also go to show the global spread that these ransomware gangs now have. 
Authorities believe that between them, the seven arrested subjects were responsible for 7,000 individual ransomware attacks. The Department of Justice's arrest of 22-year-old Ukrainian national Yaroslav Brzezinski in Poland was also announced on Monday. Believed to be a member of Revel, he is charged with deploying ransomware on a number of US companies, including having a role in the attack on Casilla in July, and faces a maximum jail sentence of 115 years in the US after he's extradited. 28-year-old Yelyavri Polyanin, a Russian national, was also indicted by the Department of Justice for his alleged links to the rebel group and has funds of $6.1 million, that's £4.5 million, seized after being traced back to ransomware victims. According to his indictment, Polyanin faces a maximum of 145 years in jail, but is unlikely to face extradition. Russia is famously uncooperative when surrendering its people to the US. The arrest of Yaroslav Brzezinski, the charges against Yevendi Pelanin and the seizure of 6.1 million of his assets and the rest of two other rebel actors in Romania are the culmination of close collaboration with our international US government and especially our private sector partners, said FBI Director Christopher Ray. The FBI has worked creatively and relentlessly to counter the criminal hackers behind Selignal Rebel. Ransomware groups like them pose a serious, unacceptable threat to our safety and our economic well-being. We will continue to broadly target their actors and facilitators, their infrastructure and their money, wherever in the world they might be. Operation Gold Dust builds upon the Europol-supported Romanian-led investigation into the Jan Trav ransomware family dating back to 2018. The UK and the US also supported work which led to the release of three decryption tools made available to victims via the No More Ransom Project website, which is believed to have saved attacks on 49,000 businesses and prevented 60 million euros in ransom payments. Private sector support has also been invaluable. According to Europol, with cybersecurity firms such as Bitdefender, Avast, McAfee and KPN, all providing technical support in the investigation and decryption tools for No More Ransom. No More Ransom currently has decryption tools for three versions of JanTrab and for Rebel, the latter of which has helped 1,400 companies decrypt their networks, saving them almost €475 million Euros in potential losses. The tools made available for both ransomware families have enabled more than 50,000 decryptions, of which cybercriminals demanded close to 520 million euros, that's over 400 million pounds, in ransom. Revel is a prolific ransomware chain behind a spate of high-profile cyber attacks against big businesses over the last few years. They are believed to be behind the Colonial Pipeline data breach, which regular listeners will remember we brought you details of in episodes 158, 148 and 147 of the GDPR Weekly Show. Obviously, there'll probably be more arrests to come, and as we get more updates from Europol, we will, of course, bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To America now, and in particular to Plymouth in Massachusetts, where TechEdge, a trusted provider of critical components specialised in manufacturing precision-engineered thin metal components, flexible printed circuits, and EMI shielding, announced today that it will begin notifying current and former employees whose information may have been involved in a data security breach incident that occurred in August. Although TechEdge has implemented many safeguards to protect the confidentiality of its current and former employees' health information, it believes that some employee information could have been taken during the ransomware attack. The company announced on August 25th this year it learned that it had fallen victim to a ransomware attack against its computer network that had started on August 20th. Upon discovering the unauthorised third-party activity on its computer systems, including unauthorised encryption of some of its files, the company immediately engaged an external forensic cybersecurity team and legal counsel to help secure the network and investigate the extent of the breach. 
TechX, she also took steps to prevent further unauthorized access and notified law enforcement, the US Department of State, the US Department of Health and Human Services, and the Massachusetts Attorney General Office. The company's server data security protocol and backup procedures enabled it to restore operations and access data from its backups without decryption of any of the unauthorized encryption. After ensuring that the company's business was secure, TechX cyber security experts did a thorough investigation. They could not identify any direct evidence of data staging or exfiltration based on the available data. While the attackers did not appear to have accessed TechX's human resources server, and while TechX had its own encryption on the backups for that server that the attackers had tried to access, the security experts could not determine whether the attackers could have copied any current or former employee's personal information including name, address, social security number, date of birth or personal health information from some email records on different servers. To date, TechX has not seen that any such information, or indeed anything from the company's computer systems, has been posted publicly, nor has the company seen any affirmative evidence of any of its current or former employees' personal information being accessed or misused. Out of an abundance of caution, however, TechX is providing information to individuals whose personal information may have been impacted to provide them with details about this incident and guidance on how they can help protect themselves and their information if they feel it's necessary or appropriate to do so. The company's letter to current and former employees includes instructions on how an individual can contact all three of the major credit bureaus to place a forward alert or security freeze on their account, inquire about any unusual activity and request a credit report. TechX recommends that individuals may also want to review all bills and account statements they receive over the next few months and report any suspicious activity to the financial institution of the account at issue. The company also recommends that current and former employees review the explanation and benefits statements that they receive from the health insurer. If these statements list any service that an individual believes he or she did not receive, TechH recommends that the individual contact their insurer at the number on the statement. If an individual does not receive regular explanation and benefits statements, the company recommends they contact their insurer or healthcare provider and request a copy of such statements following the provision of services in the individual's name or using any of the individual's identification numbers. Individuals may also review their credit reports and check for any, any unrecognised medical bills. If an individual finds anything suspicious, they should call the credit reporting agency at the phone number on the report. Protecting the privacy of its customers, employees, partners and members of its community is important to both TechEdge and the company sincerely regrets any inconveniences the incident may have caused. To help prevent a similar incident from occurring in the future, TechEdge has enhanced and strengthened its security systems from those that were in place at the time of the incident and plans to continually review its protocols and processes to remain vigilant. We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book, called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon, so if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to gdprmadesimple.club and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. For a limited period until the end of November, it's only £7.99, which is a saving of £7 on the normal price. As its name suggests, we've made it a very simple guide to GDPR, but nonetheless a guide which covers everything that you need to do to ensure that your organisation is UK GDPR compliant. And so we'd be extremely grateful if you'd purchase a copy of our new book. Profits from the book help to go towards the cost of running the GDPR weekly show. And of course, if you've got any feedback on the book, then please either leave the feedback on Amazon or alternatively email us as usual, at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We really hope you like the book. We've put many hours into its production. 
and we hope, like the podcast, you find it extremely useful. To Durham in Canada now, and as the TTC probes a recent cyber security attack, they say that personal information of some of their employees may have been compromised. TTC says it became aware of the attack on October the 29th. The data breach may affect up to 25,000 current employees, former employees and some pensioners, with names, addresses and social insurance numbers being amongst the data stolen, although officials are still figuring out the extent. In a press release on Monday, the TTC said it was unclear if any customers and vendors were also affected by the data breach. It's very important to note that at this time there's no evidence that any of the personal information that has been accessed has been misused, they said. This is a sophisticated incident, similar to the hundreds of incidents reported in Canada in the last year alone. TTC employees, both current and former, can call a dedicated hotline at 416-362-7547. This matter is of utmost importance to the TTC and is being treated as a top priority, said the press release. The TTC apologises for the inconveniences it's causing affected individuals. TTC CEO Rick Leary said... As we announced on Friday, October 29th, the TTC was recently the victim of a sophisticated cybersecurity incident that impacted a number of internal and customer-facing functions. Today I'm providing an update on that incident. Let me remind everyone that protecting the health and safety of our customers and employees is our top concern, and this incident did not compromise that. As I'm sure everyone can appreciate, these incidents are intricate in nature and require complex solutions. Over the past week, we have been working day and night to resolve this situation, to get our lost services back online and to gain a clearer understanding as to the breach of the incident. The incident resulted in a number of TTC servers being encrypted and locked, resulting in the loss of our vision system, virtual arrival information and online wheeled trans booking systems, as well as external network connectivity including email. Based on what we know at this point, the culprits were able to gain access to TCC's files that may contain personal information of possibly 25,000 employees past and present. We continue to investigate whether any customer or vendor information was compromised. There's no evidence this time that any of this information has been misused. Again, while we do not have evidence that any of the information has been misused, we're taking steps to ensure that those who may have been impacted are protected from things like identity theft. We are doing this by offering three years of credit protection through TransUnion. This has been done both out of an abundance of caution and because it's the right thing to do. In the coming days, we will be reaching out to those potentially affected individuals to advise them of the next steps. What we know about the threat actors in this case is that they belong to an extremely well-organised enterprise. On behalf of the entire organisation, I want to express my deep regret that this has occurred to everyone who may be impacted. It is not lost on me that organisations like ours are entrusted with significant amounts of personal information and it's essential we do our best to protect it. The fact that in the past year there have been nearly 700 similar cyber security incidents involving public and private sector organisations in Canada is indicative of just how pervasive they really are. I want everyone to be assured TTC continues to follow best practice in securing our IT infrastructure. I believe it's also important for the reputation of TTC to be honest and open with our employees, customers and stakeholders. That's why we continue to share what we know and how we've responded to this incident as soon as we are able. As I told our board last week, we are fully committed to learning from this incident. Additionally, we are in the process of notifying everyone we believe may have been impacted, including employees, former employees and pensioners, about how long they can participate in the programme to protect their identity. Over the coming weeks, we will continue rebuilding the remaining impacted servers and internal services, like re-establishing external email capabilities, but in truth, and based on experiences of other organisations, this could take some time. These are extremely challenging times for this organisation, but as we work tirelessly to restore all functions to their previous state, 
but I am fortunate to be surrounded by 16,000 talented employees who I know will get us there as quickly as possible. I again want to thank all of our employees for their dedication and hard work and our customers for their patience and understanding. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. To California now, and on November the 8th, the US District Court for the Northern District of California dismissed a class action brought against a French cryptocurrency wallet provider and its e-commerce vendor after determining that the court does not have jurisdiction over the companies. The plaintiffs, customers who purchased hardware wallets through the vendor's platform between July 2017 and June 2020, alleged violations of state-level consumer protection laws after a 2020 data breach exposed the personal contact information of thousands of vendor customers. The plaintiffs contended that when the breach was announced in 2020, the wallet provider failed to inform them that their data was involved in the breach. Plaintiffs also alleged that an unauthorised third party gained access to the wallet provider's e-commerce database and have obtained the emails of 1 million customers as well as physical inf- contact information for 9,500 customers. According to the plaintiffs, the wallet provider did not disclose that the attack on its website and the render state of theft were connected and it downplayed the seriousness of the attack. As a result, the plaintiffs were subsequently alleged to be subject to phishing scams, cyber attacks and demands for ransom. The plaintiffs claimed that companies failed to implement appropriate security measures to protect customer data and brought claims against the companies for injunctive relief and other remedies under California's unfair competition law, Georgia's Fair Business Practices Act and the New York's General Business Law. For their part, the defendant companies moved to dismiss, arguing that the court lacked personal jurisdiction and that the plaintiffs had failed to state a claim. In their judgment, the court determined that it does not have jurisdiction over the French wallet provider and ruled, among other things, that the plaintiffs did not establish that the wallet provider had expressly aimed its activities towards California in a way that would establish specific jurisdiction and did not cause harm in California that it knew was likely to be suffered there. The court further held that the fact that the vendor was headquartered in California at the time the breach occurred was not sufficient to establish general jurisdiction because the vendor moved to Canada before the class action was filed. Courts have uniformly held that general jurisdiction is to be determined no earlier than the time of filing a complaint, the court said, dismissing the case with prejudice. So this is an interesting example again of extraterritorial scope, and of course we've covered on the GDPR weekly show a number of times about extraterritorial scope the other way around, where GDPR has been deemed to apply even though the company might be in Canada or in the US. But in this case, the California court has ruled that for CCPA, that doesn't apply, and CCPA does not have that international territorial scope. So it's an interesting ruling and doubtless one we will return to in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Remaining in California on on 5th of November, the US District Court for the Northern District of California granted preliminary approval of a class action settlement resolving claims against a grocery store chain after a data breach allegedly compromised personal information in its software. According to the plaintiff's notice of motion and the motion for preliminary approval for class action settlement, the software vendor notified its clients, including the grocery store, that its software has been breached. And in this case, the grocery store is the Troda company and the software vendor is Acelion. As a result of the breach, hackers access personally identifiable information of approximately 3.8 million grocery store pharmacy customers and employees. Under the preliminary settlement, claimants may choose to receive either 
A cash payment with an estimated value of between $18 and $91 for non-California residents and between $36 and $182 for California residents. Two years of credit monitoring and insurance services or the reimbursement of any documented losses up to $5,000. The proposed settlement also contains robust injunctive relief including requirements that the grocery store chain Firstly, it confirms that class members' sensitive personally identifiable information was secured. Secondly, monitors the dark web for five years for fraudulent activity relating to class members' personally identifiable information. And thirdly, enhances its third-party vendor risk management program. The district court also noted that any class member can appear at the fairness hearing to object to any aspect of the settlement and that class members have 75 days after being notified of the deal to file their written objections or to opt out of the settlement. The proposed settlement would not resolve any claims against the software vendor. Additionally, the court issued an order denying a motion to intervene by a group of objectors, finding that they had failed to identify a protectable interest that will be impaired if they are unable to intervene. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Florida now, and the cyber attack against the city of Titusville in Florida allowed the perpetrator to gain access to an employee email account from November 19, 2020 until February 18, 2021, compromising sensitive personal information contained in emails and attachments that passed through the affected account. Exposed data types varied by individual but included social security numbers, driver's license numbers, financial account information, credit and debit card information, usernames, passwords and more. If we receive a further update from the city of Titusville in Florida about this data breach, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Week Show. We are extremely pleased to announce the launch of our first book called GDPR Made Simple. It's available right now on Amazon, so if you just go to Amazon and search for GDPR Made Simple, you will find our book. Alternatively, go to gdprmadesimple.club and you can click through from our new website there directly to the page to buy the book on Amazon. For a limited period until the end of November, it's only £7.99, which is a saving of £7 on the normal price. As its name suggests, we've made it a very simple guide to GDPR, but nonetheless a guide which covers everything that you need to do to ensure that your organisation is UK GDPR compliant. And so we'd be extremely grateful if you'd purchase a copy of our new book, Profits from the book help to go towards the cost of running the GPR Weekly Show. And of course, if you've got any feedback on the book, then please either leave the feedback on Amazon or alternatively email us as usual at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We really hope you like the book. We've put many hours into its production and we hope, like the podcast, you find it extremely useful. To Canada now, and a man has been arrested after a year-long investigation into a data breach. Strathcona County's RCMP's General Investigation Section began the investigation last November after a complaint about a latest data breach from a local business. It's not known at the moment what the local business is. GIS and the RCMP's Digital Forensic Services pinpointed a suspect and made an arrest. Alexander Strillitz, 57, of Edmonton, was charged with unauthorised use of a computer and mischief in relation to computer data. Investigators did not specify what sort of data was breached, but Strathcona County RCMP wanted to remind residents and businesses to report any internet-related offences to police and always be mindful of their home and business network security. When we receive any update on this from the relevant law enforcement authorities, 
We will little speak to you here on the Digi Public Show. Remain in Canada and Tosco has reported a data breach after the discovery of a TARD skimmer at one of its Canadian warehouses. Shoppers who swiped their TARDs on the compromised terminal have been notified and the company could not say with certainty whether or not the criminal installed the device was able to retrieve any customer data. However, some customers from the Tosco store have reported thousands of dollars in fraudulent charges shortly after having visited the Tosco location. Tosco is advising its members who received an notification to verify purchases on their statements and report any suspicious charges immediately. The company is also offering a year of no-charge identity recovery services, monitoring and identity theft insurance. A Tosco warehouse doesn't necessarily seem like the sort of place a criminal would install a physical charge skimmer. They're generally always very busy and well monitored by surveillance and CCTV. The reality, though, is that many charge skimmers can be installed in a couple of seconds by a skilled individual. Often it's done following a legitimate purchase with a very clever sleight of hand. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurability production. Until next time, bye-bye.